because I believe science might offer an answer to the curse of the Bambino. Why someone took so long to hire that guy is beyond me. Anybody who's not tearing their team down right now and rebuilding it using your model, they're dinosaurs. One of the great things about money is it, it buys a lot of things. One of which is the luxury to disregard what baseball likes, doesn't like, what baseball thinks, doesn't think. It's a threatening, not just a way of doing business, but, it's, but in their minds, it's threatening the game. How can you not be romantic about baseball? All right, another great episode here at the Baseball Op Podcast with Top Velocity, me, Brent Porcia. So today, a hot topic I'm going to talk about strength training, or more specifically, Olympic lifting for pitchers or for performance, obviously. I mean, why would we bring lifting into pitching? It's because uh, we want to improve performance. That's what lifting does in pretty much every sport. So I know there's there's a lot of controversy around this topic. I've talked about it before, but it has to do with the evolution of the game. You know, pitchers specifically, and, and a lot of the uh, controversy falls on the pitching side. How much should pitchers lift? Should pitchers lift? How much weight should they lift? What should they lift? Where should they lift? And the reason this has become more controversial because the game has changed so dramatically, the the, the way we train the game is is also um, affected that why why it's changed so dramatically. So, for example, the game back in the '70s, or let's even go earlier, maybe '60s was the the starting pitcher was the pitcher he'd come in and his goal was to win the game you know he was honored uh, the start for the game because that was his game that's changed dramatically over time which has led to the dramatic aspects of the training of pitchers so for example now it's very common that pitchers only go starting pitchers go five to six innings because statistically we found that they throw better pitches you know, once or twice through the lineup, once they get three times through the lineup, they start being less effective. Makes sense. The hitters are seeing them more. So we bring in these middle reliefs. So then we establish the short uh, relief or short uh, uh, pitch limit pitcher. So it comes in, he throws an inning or two. These are our middle relief pitchers. And then we set them up for uh, that late last inning closing pitcher to win the game. And it's made it even a more exciting game. It's fun to watch the closing pitcher come in and, and close the door. And the save, I think, I don't know when the save came into the game, but the same the save came into the game around this time when this the closing pitchers became uh, popular. So what you have now is you have starters throwing less innings and you have relief pitchers throwing, um, or throwing coming out throwing maybe one inning a, a, a day. So... What this is doing is the pitchers are basically taking on less reps, so less endurance of their throwing. So because of that, performance typically goes up. So if you take an athlete that doesn't have to endure their performance for long periods of times or many reps, and they have to do it in less, they can increase their performance. And that's more than likely why velocities have skyrocketed. And then two, that's why lifting has become a bigger factor for pitchers, because now uh, velocities climb, velocities become a bigger commodity uh, because it's a more effective way to pitch because it gives the hitter less time to react. So now um, pitchers are working for velocity and velocity becomes a big factor and velocity is not going to go away. I don't see this really changing. So 
lifting. How do we lift for velocity? And, and is it even effective? You still have those old school coaches out there that think lifting has doesn't have the effect on pitching velocity or pitching performance. But is there any evidence to show that? We got one right here, pretty simple study showing that uh, youth pitchers, when we looked at stride length, which we have evidence in case studies that showed stride length, uh, gives a pitcher more time to to stay healthy, to sync his arm up, and it gives them the ability to generate more force. So stride length uh, is a correlation of velocity. And in this study, youth baseball pitching stride length, normal values and correlations with field testing found that uh, it said mean stride length was 66% of height. Stride length was correlated with vertical jump. And it said pitching experience and single leg balance. So Vertical jump, the ability to jump, that's an athletic movement. The ability to create force off the ground uh, had, a, had an effect on the mechanics of the pitcher. Uh, so we're, we're showing that, that there's, a, there's a connection here between a pitcher's mechanics, how he moves to, uh, to his athleticism, and then we also have studies showing that how he moves affects how he performs in games. So it, then it's interesting to bring this other study in because it, it, it shows the leap or the correlation right from – uh, the training or <clears throat> their uh, their field agility measurements to their performance. So we're not even going through the movements. We're looking, if we just straight look at their agility measurements, like how the, how the well their body can move in agility drills, and how does that correlate to their, their performance in the game, their statistics. This study, agility measures related to strikeouts of NCAA baseball pitchers, it found that analyzed... Analysis identified correlations between S1, S2, and TSR and normalized SO. So what was S1? S1 is the uh, agility segment. So that's the sprint. So they broke this, the sprint into segments. So first segment's S1, second sec segment's S2, S3, S4. And then TSR was the, the shuttle run, which is just a full-out sh hard sprint for distance. And that correlated... Um, or normalized with SO, which was, um, I believe, yeah, strikeouts. And and uh, S4 were significantly respect... Or actually, where am I? I'm getting lost here. Let's go to the conclusion so we can pull this together. Results of this study suggest that the better agility may lead to selected improvements in game performance in NCAA Division II baseball pitchers. So the... To clarify what I kind of stumbled over, S1, S2, it's the segments of an agility um, movement or sprint. Those had a high correlation of uh, strikeouts. The S3 actually had a correlation to walks. So more than likely, those who were slower in the S3 part of the, of the agility drill had more walks. Total shuttle runs, a long, hard run. Uh, had another correlation to strikeouts. So it's 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 great to see that someone's athleticism or those that have better athleticism that move better through these agility drills actually are the ones performing better statistically as pitchers. So, you know, that really shows, and, and there's more to it. I mean, I can go into a long list of case studies that show the effects of resistance training on throwing velocity. You got one called three resistance training increase or Here's a study. It says, yeah, it's called three resistance training programs increase pitching velocity. Here's another study. Lateral to medial jumps were consistently correlated with high throwing velocity. 
uh, individualized dynamic variable resistance may be more effective than isometric training in improving throwing velocity and external rotator torque production. So there's, there's a long list of these, and I actually have this on YouTube. So if you want to go look at this, this is, that's actually a slideshow or, or a presentation I did on strength training for pitching. You're going to see a lot of studies correlating to an increase in throwing velocity based from uh, or resistance training in its correlation to throwing velocity. So there should be, there's strong evidence at this point. Obviously it's, it's great to get, continue to get more evidence that resistance training, um, forms of resistance training or agility training are, are enhancing the pitcher's performance. So we all know this, right? So now it comes down to what is, uh, a, the better methods in that resistance training. Meaning if I'm going to spend the time to do resistance training, where am I going to get the most result, the best result? Well, if you know top velocity, we're big believers in the core approach of Olympic lifting, which if you take strength training into baseball, now it's become more popular. The general aspects of strength training has become more popular. Going into more of the skill-specific side of uh, strength training, which Olympic lifting would be because it's a, it's a skilled sport, it's going to be a little less popular. Even though there was a study that looked at uh, major league players, or not major players, major league coaches and their willingness to use Olympic lifting. And there was a lot of coaches, strength coaches in Major League Baseball who wanted to use it. And there was a smaller percentage that were being allowed to use it. So I believe it would be even more popular if it was more accepted. Why is it not accepted? Well, I believe the at the highest level, there's there's a real sensitivity to how hard you push athletes and their development because it's such a play, play, play model at that level that if someone gets hurt not playing, I think it's it's looked at more um, as an issue that someone, considerably more of an issue than if someone gets hurt playing. So it's just, it's just that's the taboo of that culture. And unfortunately, because of that, they are very conservative on how they train and develop athletes at the highest level when it comes to resistance training. So in, in a lot of, we know that major league baseball typically trickles down. So what we typically find at the lower levels is they're kind of picking it up from the higher levels. So unfortunately in that culture of play, play, play at the, at the highest level, you get this trickle down of a very conservative approach to player development, which they can get away with at the highest level because they have the cream of the crop to choose from. But when you get down to the levels that truly need development, if they're following those professional standards, they are not really helping the athlete, unfortunately. So what, if you're going to pick a form of training and, and, and if, you know, obviously you're going to follow our bias, which is we love Olympic lifting. It's something I did personally. You know, I don't know if y'all know my story, but at 18 years old, I tore my rotator cuff. In my first college appearance, got a doctors uh, that operated on my arm said I would probably never pitch again because of the damage I did to my shoulder, that I should pick another sport. So it was really hard on me at 18 to hear that. Uh, but at the same time, too, it's what led me into not only finding a better way to get it back and playing professional baseball later on, but also you know, using that to drive and build top velocity. So, you know... It, for me, when we talk Olympic lifting, it's very personal because I don't believe I would have ever come back from a torn rotator cuff and play professional baseball throwing mid to high, you know, low to mid 90s if I hadn't used uh, 
Olympic lifting. And it was more than just Olympic lifting. It was advanced programming in it. It eventually built up to heavy lifting, getting very technical, very good at the technique of it. And it was a real significant benefit to me. Then I turned around and taught other people how to do it. And everyone who pretty much I taught to do it had a tremendous improvement in their performance. Um, so wh why was that happening? You know, I got curious when I, I came back so, um, so impressive. It, my, my career or my comeback was so impressive where I was probably like high 80s before and a torn rotator cuff because you still have a torn rotator cuff even after surgery. They don't really reattach the torn muscle. It's just they try to make it less. Uh, they try to help bring the, the, the wear and tear down or clean, clean out the joint to reduce the inflammation. But you still have a torn rotator cuff. So when, you know, coming back to the game and throwing in, into the low to mid 90s, um, what was doing that? Why, you know, how, how was I able to do something that doctors said I would never do and most people didn't believe and they still don't believe today? Um, I started looking at the studies on it and there's actually a study out there with most people wouldn't believe that says Olympic lifting has a, a high correlation to enhancing uh, the skills of throwing. It, right here it says uh, Olympic style lifts are considered as some of the best training exercises to maximize dynamic athletic performance. It says, because of the potential of these lifts to produce high power outputs and their movement and velocity specificities to the sport activities of jumping, running, and throwing. So it's basically saying it translates the high power outputs that it builds to skills, uh, the skills of jumping, running, and throwing. So it's, it's whatever, whatever power and, and athleticism, dynamic ability that you're building in these lifts, it's translating to the skills of jumping, running, throwing. So in the name of that study is optimal training load for the development of muscular power, if you want to look up that study. So there is a study out there that actually says that there is a correlation to throwing velocity and pitching. And then to go more specific and look into it, I even looked at comparing Olympic lifting to say powerlifting or, or just speed and agility training, how effective it was it in comparison, meaning like, did I really need to do Olympic lifting or could I've just done something else? And here's a great study. It says a comparison of strength and power characteristics between power lifters, Olympic lifters, and sprinters. It said, in addition, the Olympic lift, lifting group was significantly stronger than the sprinting group. The Olympic lifting group produced significantly higher peak forces, power outputs, velocities, and jump heights in comparison to the power lifting group and the control group who did, who pretty much did nothing for jump trials at various levels. So Here's a study saying that out of powerlifting, which is back squatting, uh, benching, deadlifting, and, and sprinting, Olympic lifting, which is your clean and jerk and snatch, is more effective in enhancing jump height, velocities, power outputs, and peak forces. So that's pretty significant. Also, I found another great study, a biomechanical comparison of the vertical jump, power clean, and jump squat. And it also found the greatest rate of force development during the upward phase of these exercises was generated during the power clean, which was significantly greater than both the counter movement jump and jump squat. So it, as far as when it came to power or rate of force development, what is that? That means when you go to generate force, how long does it take you to do it? The rate at which it takes you to generate that force is rate of force development. And this study says Olympic or cleaning out of the jump and jump squat, 
was by far um, the better uh, way of improving rate of force development. So people, a lot of people ask, well, there's other ways to generate power than using Olympic lifts. Well, these studies showing actually they are the best ways. Uh, we, ought, you know, we can go to the Dr. Garhammer stutter study that said uh, he, he took a, a kilo, 100 kilo male, which is 220 pounds, and he put him through on a force plate through all the lifts, the power lifts and the Olympic lifts. And out of the back squat and deadlift, about 1,100 watts of power were, was produced. And then out of the second pull, which is going to be pretty much out of the clean, once you went above the knee, obviously when you went into the power phase, into the rack, that produced 5,500 watts of power. The jerks even produced 5,400 watts of power. So almost five times more power is being generated from the Olympic lifts than the power lifts. Now, here's the thing. We still use the power lifts, but we don't use them for power, which is what blows people's mind, right? We use them for force and hypertrophy and growth, size. We use the Olympic lifts for power. Not only that, we use the Olympic lifts to develop a more dynamic kinetic chain, meaning we use the Olympic lifts through a multi-joint movement, which is what they are, to maximize power, which means my kinetic chain or my central nervous system controlling my kinetic chain has to get more efficient. And because of that, studies show that Olympic lifting is the only form of lifting where there is no correlation to the size of the muscle and the force that it can generate. That's amazing. That's powerful. A lot of baseball players talk about it. They don't want to get bigger. They don't want to get bulky. But they obviously want to get more powerful. Well, Olympic lifting says it's really the only way you can do that. Why? Why is that happening? Because the central nervous system is way more challenged in these lifts than the muscular system, meaning it's more of a coordinated movement of generating force and power, peaking force, than it is just time under tension and how much activation can get I get out of my muscles. So people always ask, why do you use Olympic lifts? Because it builds a more efficient kinetic chain. And not only that, it builds a more efficient kinetic chain while maximizing more power. And Along those lines, I found this study here that really shows it's, this is why you have to use the Olympic lifts. And it also helps you understand the difference between a novice power athlete and an advanced power athlete. And this study is called the absent muscle or absent muscle coordination patterns and reduced force exertion in the novice of clean exercises. So the conclusion was we revealed that a muscle coordination pattern that relates to executing the triple extension is absent in the novice. Uh, I always say novice, the novice, poor pronunciation, sorry, the novice. This is the novel evidence about the technical guidance for performing the clean. Our findings suggest that the novice needs to learn the activation timing of the ankle plantar flex, flexor muscles, that's extending the ankle, knee and hip extensors, which is extending the knee and the hip, at the, at the triple extension for sufficient ground reaction force or joint torque exertion. Therefore, technical guidance for the appropriate activation timing of the lower limb extensors at the triple extension would facilitate the maximization of the training effect of the clean. During analysis of the activation levels of the existing muscle coordination patterns, it's required to acquire another technical guidance except for the triplex for triple extension. So what it, what they're saying is the novice did not activate the joints correctly in timing the power phase, triple extension. They didn't activate them correctly. And because of that, 
they weren't able to fully tap into muscle exertion or maximum muscle exertion. So think about that. The novice might even be as powerful as, as the advanced lifter, but he doesn't have the technique to activate the timing effectively to get to maximum force production. And that happens pitching or, or hitting. If, you're, if you don't understand the timing and the positioning that we have to go through to get to maximum force exertion, then you're gonna wind up overcompensating at the end of the chain or not experiencing high velocity. And a lot of people who watch top velocity and they see the, the pitchers come in and go up 10, 15 miles per hour, they get, they get frustrated or they, they, they get this false impression that we're just teaching them to have more intent. Well, this study here is telling you how they're learning to improve their intent. It's not through just getting them fired up or, or, or making them run really fast and throw. It's through teaching them the positioning and the timing that all the joints have to go through to get to an op have an opportunity to peak muscle activation through the kinetic chain. So that's the key here. And that's what the Olympic lifts are training. So think about that. You're in the weight room actually training the central nervous system to better time the movements of sequencing power through the body so you can get to maximum exertion or maximum force production. Don't you think that when you get to another movement, you're gonna have the same benefits or the same ability to sequence and time the joints correctly to maximize force production? So that's truly why we use the Olympic lifts. And unfortunately, I don't think is those who don't wanna use them um, aren't going to have the same effects that we have at top velocity. You're not going to get the same results. So as long as we can use the Olympic lifts, we're going to win this game of building more power athletes who know how to sequence and move power through an efficient kinetic chain. So, uh, you know, at the end of that too, what, what do we hear a lot about? You know, I think if, if there's any argument left on, on why, how should we do this to optimize uh, the pitcher now that we're, we're going for velocity in this game, um, it, it would be, well, what about the injury factor, right? Are, are we injuring these guys? So who cares if we amp up their velocity, but they, they don't last more than a couple years in the game or at the professional level. So that, that to me, extremely concerning and should be very much a part of how this all works. And I talked about that in one of the last podcasts, that there has to be like a, a cohesiveness to developing the elite pitcher. It can't just be a focus on velocity or a focus on command. It's got to be how it all works together and health being a key factor. But, but studies do show that we, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of coaches get the mentality when they see guys get banged up in the weight room that, Oh, they should never lift, but that's not a solution either. That that's never an answer. For example, a study here, preseason shoulder strength measurements and professional baseball pitchers identifying players at risk for injury. They found that Pitchers that came in weaker, specifically when they're measuring the shoulder strength, the pitchers that came in weaker are actually the ones more prone to injury through the year. So there's an old, there's a saying, and, and you know, armcare.com, I did a great interview with Dr. Uh, Croton about this, and, and their philosophy is strength matters most. It's really the, it really is the foundation of how this works. It is strength matters most if to health when you're going to stay healthy. So yes, we can still train performance and stay healthy. But a lot of people think for some reason the Olympic lifting 
is, is not the healthy way of doing it. And I'm going to tell you, it's actually is the more healthy way of doing it, which is crazy. So everybody thinks Olympic lifting. Oh yeah. Well, it has all these great benefits of maximizing power to the kinetic chain and enhance, you know, really building elite level power, but, but they're dangerous. It's not true. I mean, if you look at this study here, uh, the relative safety of weightlifting and weight training out of all the European sports this is a European study weightlifting, which is Olympic lifting over here was the least amount of energy by far. Um, weight training was just above that. So actually general strength training is actually has more injuries than Olympic lifting. And if we looked at it on a, or if we went up that list and we went to power lifting, power lifting was like halfway up the list. Okay. So it's, it's considerably safer than powerlifting. For example, max deadlifting is going to be way more risky than max cleaning. And people don't understand that. The reason, strictly in the fact, is look at the weight difference. The, the world record deadlift is close to 1,200 pounds. The world record clean and jerk is just over 500, somewhere around 500 pounds. There's, all, there's more than twice the weight in the powerlift side. Like I said, we use the powerlifts, but the point is, is a lot of people think, the power lifts are safer than the Olympic lifts, and it's actually the other way around. Also, too, because it's multi-joint and there's a high emphasis of technique, it make, to me, I, it's a good belief in security that it makes it a lot safer uh, once you develop the technique. So there is a requirement of the technique. So, you know, the, the, the injury case, of course, there's risk in any type of performance. And there is a study that I always like to bring up. It says uh, ASMI, they, I believe they were the ones that put it out, that you're 36 times more likely to have injury when you pitch fatigued. So there is a, a challenge here. You know, if, if we overlifted an athlete and threw him into the game fatigued all the time, we're, there's a good chance he's probably going to be way more injured. And I think that's what a lot of coaches are seeing. But like my old saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, meaning just wash the baby hold on to the baby, throw the bathwater out, right? Don't throw lifting away because someone's getting hurt. It really comes down to programming. If you're programming effectively and helping them recover and peak for the performance to where their bodies is, is back to 100%, then you're going to get the best of both worlds. You're going to get better performance, healthier performance, um, because you've not only put in the lifting, but you've programmed it to allow them to recover and peak for performance. So that's what you have to do. If you're going to be really good at this, you got to apply a core Olympic lifting approach like we do at top velocity. You got to teach good technique to, so they understand so that it gets them into the statistics of staying healthy and, and, and being able to peak and maximize forces. Um, and then you've got to program it effectively so they make gains and also so they can peak for game performance and they're not fatigued and set up for injury. So if you can do all that, you'll do what we do here at Top Velocity. You'll make huge gains in velocity. You'll get healthier doing it. Um, and, and then you'll wonder why everyone thinks uh, this doesn't work, just like I do over here, mainly because they don't know the information and they don't have a good program. So appreciate you uh, following along. If you have any questions, please post them below. Love to hear them. See you next time.